Today's episode is brought to you by Birthing Stone and their Baby Sleep Coaching Program. Birthing Stone sleep coaches help you invest in a lifetime of good sleep for your little one and provide in-home, personalized support to help you reach your goals. Head over to motherbirth.co slash birthingstone for more information. I just felt like a whole new being. My whole life changed. I felt radiant. I was enormous and swollen and scarred and like bleeding and like throbbing and I felt like the most gorgeous being I've ever been. We believe that not just babies are born, mothers are born too. We're your hosts, Lara, a labor and delivery nurse and aspiring midwife, and Melissa, a mother and doula. Welcome to Motherbirth a space for thought-provoking and inspirational conversations about birth and the deep exploration of what it means to become a mother. Hey everybody, it's Lara with Mother Birth, and Lisa and I are here today um, with a friend that I made actually in my job. So um, today we have Heather Gemmer here with us, and Heather is a nurse and a mom and an amazing photographer and all-around beautiful lady with a million-dollar smile. So, um, Heather, will you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Hi. Well, I'm a NICU nurse, um, newborn intensive care nurse, babies that are sick. And I've been a NICU nurse for 12 years. And, um, yeah, I loved my job. It was what defined me. And um, and then I became a mom, and I was like, whoa, I was a crappy NICU nurse. <laughs> mm. You felt that way after yeah, you had kids? Absolutely. Huh. And it wasn't until after I had kids, I was like, okay, now, now I've got it dialed in. Now I can hmm. be a nurse. Like, now I understand the other side of things. Yeah. So now um, I feel like motherhood more defines me, and nursing is my, my route. Yeah. So... Well, I just want to ask you one more question about yeah. that before we get into mm-hmm. your overall story. I'm I'm curious if you feel like you've become a better NICU nurse in your support of families and mothers, or do you feel like that has also translated to your care of babies? Oh, God, both. I mean, okay. definitely both. But yes, mostly it's just translated to a whole different perspective. Mm. And I think a more, um, well, a more holistic, deeper mm. uh, connection to the actual nurturing that I do. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. It's weird looking back because so many years, you know, I wasn't a mother uh, Mm. in my NICU journey. And it's like, I don't think, I don't really think I was terrible. I'm sure you weren't. (laughs) (laughs) But it's just, it's funny how much I was missing, you Mm. know, of of what I could offer. Yeah. Well, I think that's such a, you know, a unique and individual journey because I, I certainly know, I mean, I feel, I feel like there are many people that, that talk about being a nurse or, you know, specifically a labor and delivery nurse, or maybe a birth worker of some kind, whether that's a doula or a midwife. And, and I think people sometimes feel concerned that if they aren't a mother, that that will affect the, you know, the service that they're able to provide. And I certainly know that sometimes patients feel that way about their care providers. And I know people mm-hmm. that feel both ways about it, that feel like it has made no difference to me, you know, right. to have been a mother or not be a mother or to have someone provide care to me that was or wasn't a mother. And then, you know, we have people that say what you said, that mm-hmm. it really made a big difference. So yeah, it's such yeah. an individual journey. Yeah. yeah. I obviously I'm think I go both ways. <laughs> yeah. I go both ways. Yeah. The- in the sense of just like not being a mother myself, but feeling like yeah, 
there, you know, there's space uh, in those roles for everybody. But I do mm-hmm. think so many women that I know, like Lisa was saying, have shared. It, there's a there's an enrichment that comes with it, and I think it's really interesting to hear that from you as well because I think, um, you know, I've always worked in the world of you know moms and babies in hospitals, and I've always thought just being a NICU nurse would be so difficult. Because you just have these these little, little beautiful children and terrified parents. Mm-hmm. It's just such That's, a unique... You the nail on the head there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A unique shepherding role. Well, Heather, will you tell us a little bit kind of about like maybe why you decided to become a NICU nurse and then... Sure. Yeah. Well, so... Um, I'm not sure there's no um, nurses or doctors or even medical professionals in my family. I'm, mm. um, I've looked, I've done a lot of ancestry work just because I was curious. And I literally can't even find like deep, deep, deep archives of anyone in the medical field. So mm. as far as I know, I'm this rare stone that gem, popped, a gem maybe. Yeah, yeah gem. That, <laughs> ooh, I love it. <laughs> oh, that's great. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, but when I was 10 years old, I told my mother on video camera, um, apparently I'd never said it before. I just, she asked me, you know, what are you going to be when you grow up? <laughs> and I said, I'm going to be a neonatal nurse. Wow, that's very and, specific. Yeah, it was super p- specific. And she was like, "What? what is that? <laughs> <laughs> How do you know uh, what that yeah. is? Yeah, <laughs> and she, yeah, that's what she asked me. And I I said, it's a nurse who takes care of sick babies. And I said nothing else. And I just went back to playing with my whatever I was playing with. And it was a super random thing. And my mother was like, okay, sure, you're going to become a nurse. You like hide in closets when other kids are throwing up because I was so phobic of mm. vomit. And she's like, you are not going to become a nurse and nurture other people while they're sick. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. So for years, like it was kind of a family joke. I mean, not like terribly mean but you know just kind of (laughs) yeah (laughs) kind of funny um and it just stuck with me it just always it was like glue and then I got to um high school where I was like actually preparing essays and you know um applying to colleges and it just was a no-brainer it just it felt like home the profession and so I just I went for it and school was hard and it was definitely like really rough um I wasn't like as I wasn't the best book smart um nurse like a lot of times I wouldn't do as great on my exams Mm. um but when I get in the field like I just I bloomed that's just where I was meant to be yeah so um then I graduated and um I remember my pinning and then my graduation that my mother was just like just like a like her mouth was just open. Yeah. <laughs> she just, I think she was still just shocked that I actually did it. Um, and then, and so proud, of course. And and then um, they tell you you're not allowed, or you don't usually start in the newborn intensive care as a new grad. Mm. And so I um, was, I'd already been a student nurse in the um, hospital system I was working in. And so I decided to make friends with the manager in the NICU. And so every lunch break I had there, I would go down to her office and I would knock on the door and I would say, hi, how's your day going? And I would take her sometimes like just little like post-its with like little like sayings really nerdy of me and um, (laughs) just, you know, asked her, like tried to invest in her life, asked her questions about her kids and 
Um, and then just kept telling her, like, I just really, I believe I'm supposed to be here. And I know that's weird, but if you ever have a chance to, or if you're ever willing to take a chance on me, I'm, I'm like here. Yeah. <laughs> so um, six months in to being a, an orthopedic neurosurgery nurse, um, they said, yeah, I think, well, we want to take a chance on you. So first, like, bring the teacher's pet over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they did not like me. It was a rough few mm, years. I bet. It was yeah. rough. But here I am. Yeah. So how many years were you a NICU nurse before you became a mother? Gosh, that's a good question. Let's see. Otis is almost four. He'll be turning four on Christmas. And um, I started NICU nursing in 2005. Okay. So like... Eight years. Eight years. Yeah. Yeah, eight and a half about. Okay. Yeah, a long time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah, I'm sure you saw a lot before you ever had kids. A lot. How much did the things that you had seen in your NICU experience, how much did that affect your decision to have kids and then how you felt about having kids in terms of just the... You know, I, I know I've I've talked to I have another close friend who's a NICU nurse who says that, you know, it definitely has sort of jaded is the wrong word, but just sort of maybe heightened your sense of anxiety or fear about the things that can go wrong. Totally. I um initially when my husband and I got married, we actually didn't think we would have children. Mm-hmm. Um and then for a period of time, um, I was actually really ill and I didn't think I was capable of having children. Um and so really, I mean, it just kind of was never on my radar. I, I never really, I mean, I kind of thought in the back of my head it'd be lovely, but I, I never longed for it um, until shortly after a surgery that kind of took um, care of what the illness I was dealing with. Um, all of a sudden, a year later, I was feeling like a new person. Um, and I realized that I was, I was kind of pushing down an ache for motherhood for a while just because I felt so ill and I didn't feel strong enough or capable enough of caring for another human. Yeah. And when I finally felt well, it was really clear that I had just been really wanting it for a long time and I just wasn't acknowledging it. So I was ready, like immediately. (laughs) I was like, let's do this. And thankfully my husband was on the same page. (laughs) Yeah. That's a really lucky, lucky thing. Very. (laughs) For sure. So you guys started trying right away? Um, we did. Uh, they told me I had to be like a year post-op to start trying. So we started trying it exactly on the nose a year after yeah. my surgery. And Otis was um, conceived three months after that. So, awesome. Yeah. In that change of kind of like, I mean, I've had some friends go through similar experiences where they either didn't think they were going to have kids or they were kind of like open, but not maybe like, like you were saying, not really like planning, but not obviously mm-hmm. super closed off do you feel like that as like you said you kind of turned a corner and made this shift and do you feel like your your husband also made that shift with you I do yeah I think it was um you know my husband and I have always been I mean we joke that we're terrible fighters because the very first thing we do is apologize like you know we'll say something that we really feel which is mm-hmm. true and we say it and it may sound it may be pretty harsh but like the second afterwards we're both like you know, stumbling over each other, apologizing, yeah. um, because it's good to get it out to say what you really mean. But then, at the heart of it, we really know intentions on either side that we just adore each other. And so, um, we've always just been really. If there's one thing we're good at, it's communication in our marriage. So I feel like we were just so in sync with that. And I was, I was also just really open. I've always been really open with him, with my heart. Like if I'm really feeling something, 
deep and like moving and philosophical. And I mean, I've just always been like, I want to something you want to explore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's my person for that. So that's great. I think we just, you know. Can we have you back for another episode where we just talk about that? (laughs) How to do that? (laughs) I don't know if my methods are work for everyone, but (laughs) but absolutely. (laughs) So you guys, you're on the same page. You you move forward. You get pregnant. Um, Tell us about your pregnancy and birth with your first. I wanted to be as far away from the NICU as possible. So I wanted to, I had a lot of anxiety because of what I'd seen. Mm -hmm. Um, And throughout my pregnancy um, with both of my children, for some random reason, I had like weird screens and weird things that popped up. And so they were always doing like follow-up tests to make sure um, or telling me, oh, you have a risk for this or, and I can't even remember. I think Otis was a possible, they thought he was a possible trisomy 21. Mm, Wow. Um, and so, you know, there was just always these like flags of risk and, and scare thrown in my face um, throughout pregnancy. Which probably didn't help to alleviate the mm-hmm. anxiety you already had going into it. Exactly. And I just felt um, I've had difficulty bonding um, in the initial, well, I had difficulty. I wanted to bond like maybe too much. Mm. And then I kept getting really scared at how, how, Insin- like insinuous I already felt my bond with my babies from even weeks you know yeah. gestation because I just felt immense fear of like okay well what if I lose you know I'm I'm in for it then because yeah. I'm already like so totally yeah. yeah so I had a hard time with that um in the beginning and you know then it was like waiting till that elusive 26 weeks and then even then I didn't really want to resuscitate and it was just because of what I'd seen. So yeah, really like my whole world of NICU really crashed in on me. So I wanted to be as far away from the NICU. And so I chose a hospital that didn't have a NICU on site that Mm. was further away from any site that had a NICU. Um, I went to a different hospital system so I wouldn't even be seeing people I knew or bumping shoulders with any of the professionals that I had relationships with um, and trusted. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I just needed, I needed to like have a moment to trust my body and trust nature and how things, how God made it to be, you know? Yeah. (laughs) So, so what kind of nursing did you do during that time? um, I was, I was still a NICU nurse. Okay. Um, I just mean for like, I wanted for the birth as I prepared, like I didn't want a home birth because I was scared. I see where you were planning the yeah. birth. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. I was planning yeah. to like, to actually have my birth as far away from a NICU as I could. And I was yeah. trying to normalize things. So, you know, if they gave me options for tests, I declined them and mm-hmm. said, no, I'll just, you know, trust and move forward. And yeah. So how did your husband feel about those choices? Was he on board? He really deferred a lot to my judgment, you know, just because mm-hmm. he knows yeah. this is my wheelhouse. So he was really just supportive, like, you know, you know, whatever you think, I'm I'm game for it. And a lot of that is like ignorance is bliss. He didn't really yeah. know a lot of that. He knew I was dealing with stress and anxiety over things. And sometimes you'd ask me for explanation of like, you know, why does that really make you anxious? But yeah. um, for the most part, yeah, he just kind of like let me lead mm. in, in my pregnancies. Did you have moments where you second guess some of those choices? Like, for for example, you're talking about, you know, choosing less monitoring or less follow-up, you know, screening or testing. Did you have moments, did you feel like, no, I just don't want it? Or were you really back and forth? I was back and forth, definitely. I had moments where I was like, oh, I should have done that. Or, or moments where I was like, you know, um, I just want to do, 
like all of the tests. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I think for the most part, I just kind of stayed sane by journaling um, and reading, um, listening to music. You know what I mean? Like yeah. all of my all of my things that I use for coping. Yeah. I just leaned into that, and it got me through amazingly. Mm. That's good. <laughs> so you want to tell us a little bit about your first birth? So Otis, um, so I went into, um, well, I had some PIH and I was, I had like had Braxton Hicks for like months. So I went into the office and um, I was like in tears and I was like, I'm just really miserable. And she was like, okay, well now you actually have some documented high blood pressures in the office Mm -hmm. so we could actually move forward with an induction. So they induced me, they started inducing me. Uh, 54 hours later, after like he flipped to OP position and I had to labor him out of that position, the Foley bulb, the um, Pitocin, the epidural, like, you know, the... Uh, I love how you said just 54 hours later, like you know. as if that's like <laughs> not much happened. Right, you know, just <laughs> just, a, just a couple little things happened. <laughs> <laughs> I relate to that because I had a, a labor of basically the same length so. yes. <laughs> it's just madness it's yeah <laughs> a vortex that you just I mean I don't remember it as 54 hours sure. I just remember it as the birth yeah. you know this mm-hmm. so yeah it was like really really um disorienting and you know my body I was just like trying to like be all zen and like trust it and then at a certain point I remember um, my two like really big support systems other than my husband were my um my NICU friends, and it was a NICU nurse and a NICU um, uh, nurse practitioner. Mm. And they were both sassy as hell. And like, you know, they're just going to like tell you how it is. Um, And they came in to see me after like taking a little break. um, And they said I looked like a a marshmallow. I just, I looked Mm. like I turned the corner. I was definitely probably heading towards help um, with my high blood pressures. And I wasn't looking good. And I hadn't made any cervical change. Yeah. And um, I think my um, my PIH labs are changing pretty significantly. So, and then Otis started having some D cells. I literally have no rec- recollection of these things. I just remember that a whole bunch of people came in, and it's kind of blurry and fuzzy, as if I were fading in and out of consciousness. And I remember these people just trying to be all sweet and placating, you know, saying, you know, we're going to have to go back to C-section. And I was saying, yeah, let me talk to my husband about it. I'll decide. Yeah. And my friends from the NICU got in my line of view and just said, Heather, they're not asking you. You're going back to C-section. Mm-hmm. You need, you. we need to get Otis out. So it was then this like emergency crash section with this screaming of a, I need a vag hand stat as I was, on the table and just lots of anxiety and just remembering that like my very last birth before that I attended as a nurse before I had Otis had been um, like a kid that had gotten stuck and they needed that badge hand and they had a really hard time extracting the baby and mm-hmm. baby came to me and we, you know, um, we coded it uh, for a while. Um, and the outcome was like good. That baby yeah. was well afterwards but but you're kind of being triggered and yeah it's like that traumatic yeah yeah. it's like I'm on the table and I'm hearing things and it's like I'm seeing it because I've seen it a million times before and so that was like really traumatizing for me and um but I didn't want to be 
knocked out, you know, I wanted to remember, um, I wanted to remember things, you know, mm-hmm. um, even if they were bad, I wanted to also remember like the first time he cried and that like glorious sound. And, you know, yeah. I wanted to hear the catch in my throat, as I said, my son, you know, like I wanted to hear those moments. Yeah. So it was just the option you have to choose, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes you're going to. And so I heard all of that through the, like through the lens of a NICU nurse mm-hmm. instead of like a mom. Right. So, but amazing. I mean, he came out wonderful. Um, he had no resuscitation needs um, yeah. and he was just gorgeous and went right to breast. And, you know, it was mm-hmm. really that, um, that end of things was really wonderful. It was really just the lead up and, and also just feeling like I, fa- like I failed, you know? Yeah. I know a lot of moms uh, deal with that and I'm definitely just right in that boat mm-hmm. <laughs> with all those women. And it's so funny because I, on the outside, I know that that's like, yeah. Not at all my fault. Well, rationally, we can tell ourselves that and we tell each other that. And yet there's still this sense of like, this was my body's one job mm-hmm. and it didn't, it didn't do it. You yeah. know, so it's, it's very difficult to unassociate that experience from, from that perspective. Yeah. 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 That was, that was probably the hardest thing I think, you know, mm-hmm. it's just like, I also just kept thinking like, um, I, I'm a what if person. Um, like I'm definitely like, you know, a risk assessment. I'm like thinking of like every possible scenario and, you know, what that means. And um, yeah, I was like, okay, so like I would have died then or my baby would have died if I like if this were, you know, right. 19th century or something, you know. So that was like weird to grapple with like the idea of like my like Im- like my mortality, yeah. <laughs> I guess, you know. Yeah. Um, so that was that was a weird thing that popped up that I didn't really expect. It's very hard to reconcile those very they're they're both such huge concepts. This concept, like you just said, that like in another situation, very likely there would have been a bad outcome. I mean, mm-hmm. who knows for sure what would have happened, right. but very likely there would have been a bad com- outcome for one mm-hmm. or both of you. And then there's this other piece where you are you're still dealing with this feeling that like, but my body should have been able to do this. And so you're grappling with like the gratitude that you had access to these resources and, and Mm -hmm. the ability to have a a great outcome for a healthy outcome for you and your son. And yet the disappointment and in some cases women feel regret or guilt or, Mm -hmm. you know, any any of those, those really big emotions about how things go down in birth and they're extremely difficult. They're very, very polar experiences to, to hold and to integrate. And, right. you know, we, we hear people all the time say like, you know, you, sh- you know, just be, he- just be happy that you had a healthy baby, you know? And, and of course you are happy yes. that you had a healthy baby. Like there's, there's no question, but that doesn't mean that you are still, that you're not capable of still grieving and that you don't still need to grieve the right. loss of, you know, this, this experience that you feel, you know, you know, that you wanted or that was, that was how it was supposed to go or whatever, however it is that you feel right. about that. Right. Yeah. I think too, just in, in that same space, then kind of going home with the baby, which is, you know, a new thing for you to take the baby home and then mm-hmm. to take that <laughs> process home too. So I'm kind of interested to hear what those early postpartum moments were like for you when you went home. I, um, to be truthful with Otis, um, <laughs> everything was magic. 
I mean, I just, from the moment he was born, I just, I just felt like a whole new being. My whole life changed. I felt radiant. I was enormous and swollen and scarred and like bleeding and like Hmm. throbbing. And I felt like the most gorgeous being I've ever been. I, Hmm. I mean, it was absolutely transcendent. Every moment I couldn't, I literally don't even remember feeling sleepy. (laughs) And my husband thinks it's like the craziest thing, but I told him all the time, I'm like, I jumped up to like answer his cries. Um, So strange. I, Hmm. I, I mean, and I, and I felt bad even like explaining like how I felt to people too, because I just felt like it seemed like, like I was minimizing, you know, that like, like having babies is hard and you're really tired and yeah. like sometimes it really sucks and like you know your postpartum um hormones are hard and you know all of those things but I I literally just felt amazing hmm. just amazing and like we just were like inseparable and the bond I have with my son even now is just like something really 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 deep and yeah. and spiritual it's hmm. It's really amazing. So I love hearing that because I feel like, you know, there are so many, so many experiences and, and even so many stories that we share of, you know, postpartum difficulty. And that is such a such a normal variation of the postpartum experience. And we want to tell that story. We right. want to normalize it. We want people to feel that like they're not alone in that. Right. And yet I think it's also good to be reminded that that it isn't always like that. And it doesn't have to always be like that. And there are so many factors that play yeah. into that. But I love that, you know, you even had this difficult and traumatic birth like you had a long Mm -hmm. long labor and then you also had you know a surgical delivery and 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 yet you still were able to have that really really peaceful and harmonious transition to bonding with your newborn and I I I love that you know I love that that story exists and that we can share that yeah well it didn't happen the second time yeah but (laughs) I'm I'm grateful I had it once yes totally (laughs) So it made yeah. me more, you know, grateful on the other end. For sure. So Yeah, I've had I've had the opposite experience. I didn't have that the first time, I've had that the second time. That's, that's a little harder, I almost think. Yeah. Having yeah. you know, because yeah. the maybe the trauma revis like if I hadn't known, like if I if I hadn't known, I guess yeah. it would have been harder. I think there's challenges both ways because when you experience that really really natural bonding the second time, whereas not the first, then I think you also have, or there's the potential to have a lot of, you know, second guessing yourself or, or regret about the first time around, mm-hmm. because now you're like, oh, well, this is what it can be like. And look what I missed out on. And, right. and you That's know, true. so I, I think either way, you mm-hmm. know, no matter what, like, we're going to yeah. overthink the situation absolutely we're mothers right <laughs> yeah we're not going to not overthink the situation that's for sure <laughs> that's the truth <laughs> yeah so are you so you move through this postpartum period how what's the age difference between your first and second so um i uh got pregnant with fern when i was 16 uh, when otis was 16 months old okay. and we were still breastfeeding um and we actually did try um, because I knew that I was going to have to, I have to revisit the surgery that I originally had that okay. allowed me to even entertain the idea of being a mother. 
Um, I haven't had it yet, but I'm I'm due for it really soon, going through all sorts of imaging and tests soon. Um, so I knew I had a finite amount of time to build a family. Mm-hmm. And um, at the end of my pregnancy with Otis, I was um, starting to take medications for reflux again, and it was getting worse. And um, And so I just kind of knew that, like, my clock was ticking. Yeah. Not necessarily like my, you know, my body's clock, but like, like for my, my uterus <laughs> yeah. or just, you know, my, the rest of my body just wasn't. Your personal health. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't going to last as long. So, so we tried, um, as soon as I got my period back and I got one period and we tried and Fern is just conceived her like that first time. So, <laughs> Yeah. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> you did, something you're doing is working. Yeah, yeah. something. <laughs> yeah. Um, Heather, as you were um, pregnant with Fern and preparing for birth, did what, what were you thinking as far as trying to have a vaginal birth again or have a C-section? I, I just remember wrestling with that the whole pregnancy, um, feeling like I was copping out if I chose a repeat C-section, but um, also just feeling really disheartened um, because what I was told um, by my surprising, and I've told this to people before and they're so surprised, but my midwife told me that she she actually, she's like, I never tell people that they should have C-sections, but she told me flat out she would never entertain a vaginal birth for me hmm. um, based on the uh, shape of my pelvis. She said I had an and android shaped pelvis or androgynous it's the male yeah pelvic pelvic uh, form and so essentially she what i remember her telling me and i don't even really know sometimes if all of this is true but what she told me or what i remember her saying was that um it's totally possible to deliver vaginally but you will you will essentially break your pelvis in the process like i mean it will have to stretch and uh, yeah. Probably break apart. Had you gotten to the pushing stage with Otis? Well, I was pushing, but it was only because he was OP and I just felt such pressure that I to felt push. like I had yeah. to, but yeah. I never really fully dilated. I was only at six. I think I never got yeah. past six and I started swelling shut after yeah. that. When Heather says OP, she means that the baby was sunny side up instead of face down. So yeah. just a, a much more difficult position to labor in and also obviously to deliver in. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so you're in you're pregnant you're having these discussions with your with your care providers and yep. and leaning towards not attempting a VBAC. Yep. Um I remember talking with my coworkers um Laura and the lovely women at the um the new hospital I was working at in the labor and delivery and they were just like my instant home and I just remember asking them all sorts of you know questions about what statistics were for like you know yeah. a trial of labor after a cesarean and um, you know what my chances were and I just remember you know being able to at least process all these things and talk through them and um, really ultimately what it came down to is I didn't get a real choice um, because um, I I really wasn't making cervical change um fast enough and I was in enormous amounts of pain and it just wasn't like doing what it needed to do Mm -hmm. um despite I mean they couldn't even give me um certain kinds of uh agents to help because I was contracting too much Mm -hmm. um but it just wasn't like 
you know, making Effect, yeah, effective. yeah as effective. So, so, so you went into labor with your daughter, and, and that's when you're describing that mm-hmm. there was no cervical change. Yeah, I mean, I had some, but it just was so slight, yeah. and it was so laborious. Yeah. You know that it was just the writing on the wall was yeah. that it just wasn't going to work again. Yeah. So, so how long did you did you labor before deciding? do the c-section well i came into triage just um contracting in a lot of pain and they put me on the monitor like oh yeah you're contracting a lot um but you're making no cervical change so you're not in active labor Hmm. and i remember thinking okay but like i'm contracting a lot like um this is labor and this is really painful and then like no ibuprofen is going to cover this pain yeah so um they kind of just kept me in triage to see and they gave me a whole bunch of fluids even though i told them i literally had like doubt like drowned myself in water before coming because i knew that that was the first thing they were going to do is load me with fluid and try to Mm -hmm. you know um calm my labor um and so i just like Pete and Pete and Pete and Pete. Yeah. After all of these, like they, I think they did another two liters on top of. I know I did like two liters at home. So, um, but the contractions didn't die down, and I was mm-hmm. still in just amount uh, as much pain. And um, finally, like fourteen hours after being in triage, I was never moved to a room. And finally, my husband just went out to the um, hallway and was like, "Look, like you have to just admit her. Like this is crazy. Like she's in so much pain." Were you full term? Um, I wasn't. That's the problem. I was 35 and 5 at that time. Yeah. Um, so midnight. they're definitely wanting to stop your labor. They definitely wanted to. Yeah. Um, but they were trying everything they could, and it just wasn't um, It wasn't stopping my contractions. Um, in their mind, they really just thought I wasn't in labor because I wasn't making cervical change. Right. Um, so they kept telling me, well, you don't really need to be admitted, but I guess since you're scoring your pain so high, we'll admit you and at least get your pain under control. Yeah. Um, and so I asked if they would like, like, do you do a, like an epidural or something? They're like, no, we'll give like a shot. Um, so they gave that to me and it lasted for like maybe 15 minutes and right back to like, I mean, just like clutching the side of my bed, just in mm. writhing pain, um, crying and like having people come in and just like look at me perplexed and like question like why are you in so much pain yeah. and i just remember feeling like why does no one believe me yeah that i mean and you've been in labor before right. so you know you have like a frame of reference for what your body's experiencing right i kept saying this feels exactly like labor to me this is yeah. exactly what i felt in those days i was like and by this point i had an epidural with my son right so and like, had had cervical change yeah, right yeah. right and i'm like please someone believe me like please someone so they told me, well, we'll keep you overnight, and we'll check you in the middle of the night. And if you don't make cervical change by morning, then we'll discharge you. Um, no one came into my room all night. Wow. Um, I think I had, like, like one nurse came in because I put the call light on for something. And then I finally just died to it. I was like, well, if they're not going to believe me, then I'm just going to do this alone. And so my husband and I just, like, sat huddled together, crying in pain, trying to decide what to do. You know, calling my friends in the NICU thinking, like, maybe I should just leave AMA, go to a different hospital. Um, I should just go back. To, I should just show up at Providence, Portland. And I know my L&D nurse friends will just take yeah. me under their wing and, yeah. you know, and and treat me like a human. You know, I just felt so lost in it all. And I was yeah. so confused why, why I felt like I had to plead my case so much. And then the morning dawned and um, I was 
just delirious in pain. And I remember that my friend who had delivered and been with me through my whole 54 hours of labor with my son Otis, um, and who had also been with me when I was um, hospitalized at 26 weeks with a scare with Fern and almost um, lost her then, um, or just almost had her preterm um, at that point. She was also my nurse then. So she walked in that morning and I just sighed and sobbed and she said what happened I don't even understand this plan of care nothing they're saying to me makes sense like tell me what's happening so the whole care team you know the whole um posture changed um immediately I was checked I was three centimeters it was a no-brainer I was making cervical change you know I was in a lot of pain so they started to move forward of getting an epidural um and I got another shot just you know in the meantime and so then it was like everything was, you know, everything was new and fresh, and we started moving forward <coughs> with, um, you know, this C-section that was going to yeah, be performed as soon as they had an open OR. So Yeah. Yeah, so at that point, you had have been in the hospital for how long? So I think that, I think it's almost a little over 24 hours, or no, probably it was 32 hours. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, so I mean, you're like, you're in intense pain you're suffering that entire time i kept not only a nine i kept saying nine nine yeah <laughs> and and not only are you suffering but you're getting no like care compassion or even like practical like you're not no one it's basically like they're treating you like you're like you belong in the loony bin it essentially. was yeah it was crazy my husband was like does this happen normally i mean i just remember um the one person who walked in my room that night, um, they didn't check me like they said they were going to, but that woman was a, she was a care provider, I think either like a midwife or a resident or something. And I just remember them saying, you know, you don't have to be here. Like, you can just go home. Like, well, we're, we just want to discharge you. And I wow. was like, but I don't understand if I'm in so much pain, like, what am I going to do at home? Like, And they weren't offering any suggestions for like, you know, it's not like they were providing an alternative mm-mm. answer for why you were in pain. Right. No, they just kept saying, I'm sorry, sometimes this happens. Like, you're just not, you're not in active labor. You're not making cervical change. Hmm. Wow. Oh, it's yeah, so difficult it was- to hear. Just because I feel yeah. like, obviously, I feel like every woman deserves to have really, really great care, especially when they are in labor. But um, mm-hmm. I am yeah. so glad, too, that that friend nurse was there for you. <laughs> yeah. And came on Bless her. <laughs> it sounds like she really made, obviously, a difference both in her, like, posture towards you and her ability to comfort you and kind of, you know, like, bring you under, you know, into her, yeah. into her care, but also in her ability to kind of advocate for you and, and shift yeah. the you know, the overall scenario towards like something that was actually going to she help She really you. did. Yeah. She, I mean, she basically was able to advocate and say, hey, I had her two years ago or less than two years ago when she delivered her son. I remember her case well. I'm her friend. Like, I mean, yeah. this, she is being honest. Like we need to, you know, this isn't right to, yeah. to just yeah. deny her, you know, so. Yeah. That's so crazy. Yeah. So you get the epidural. Mm-hmm. And and then you go for the C-section. And then they had a crash C-section right before me, which as a clinician, they, I think, it was never my friend who told me this, but it was other nurses that would like answer call lights or come in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, 
and I don't blame them because I kind of understand it. I feel like I may have even done the same thing, but they were kind of like, they're like, I know you're in pain and we just want you to know that like you're next on the docket, but we had this emergency crash C-section. And so that one is going before you. Um, And um, I just kept getting these updates that like, you know, what's just not going so well in there. So I'm sorry, like, you know, we can't take you back yet. Right. It's still not going very well. Like, I don't, we can't take you back yet. And so hearing about, and just inevitably putting myself in another mother's shoes, Mm -hmm. you know, I was just like this looming trauma that's happening in the same room I'm going to enter into. And like, and then, you know, I'm a NICU nurse and I can hear the transport team out in the hallway and I can You know, every detail of everything. I I mean, I I hear vent settings and I hear um, gases being read off, like, you know, to each other and like change or shift report kind of like as they're walking out. And I didn't hear like everything, but I mean- it was easy for me to deduce that baby's really ill and that baby's probably going to need ECMO. Yeah. And it's probably going to a very high level care NICU. So mm. that was hard too, you know? And then of course, in the meantime, I'm still, you know, like just in pain, you know? Right. And it wouldn't have been, it, that's such a, that's such a like lose, lose situation because it's not like they're, it's not like it's appropriate for them to lie to no. you and be like, you can't have your C-section yet because <laughs> It's lunch break. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or like, exactly. you know, I mean, they have to like give you a reason, but right. maybe they could have like spared you some of the, <laughs> right? I don't know. I don't know what the right. Well, yeah. Yeah. I don't think they did anything wrong. It yeah. was just, it was more just like. It is like, what it is yep. and that's going to be shitty. Yes. I was yeah. like my body or my brain just knows too much of that world that it's just yeah. going to be hard for me to like step clear of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Entirely. Yeah. Always there. Totally. So once you finally were going back, do you kind of feel like this time you were walking into it, you knew what was going on? Did you feel more at peace or the same? I I did. I Well, I was still anxious just thinking about, um, like, you know, was I going to hear a vag hand stat, that kind of thing. Like, I mean, I figured not because I hadn't really dilated as much, you know, or labored down with um, her as much. But um, but I did. I had just a lot of anxiety. Um, I think probably just because of like thinking about the possibility of not having her in my life, um, because of that previous, you know, mom and just thinking about. Yeah. And so I think you know, I just I was I was really anxious, and I told them I needed um I needed something for the anxiety. Mm-hmm. So um, and at a certain point um, in C section um, I remember as they, um, they right after uterine incision um, you know they call out at the uterus and and then after that shortly after that I you know was like there's so much silence but I know I can feel the pressure so I know they're like mm-hmm. wrestling around for her in there and I hear damn it I can't get her out and <sighs> you know I just and I think it was a I'm not sure if it was a resident or you know like I'm not sure, but I just, you know, I, you know, I hear this like hush, hush, like it's okay, like we're here, like, 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 yeah. like, let's get this baby out, and, and I understand the hard thing is, is that it's hard for me because I can't always grieve as a mother. I, I'm like a nurse, and I'm like, I'm already going. Well, like, it must have been so stressful for that provider right. to get my baby out, and I'm so sorry that my baby was hard to get out because that must have yeah. been stressful for you. <laughs> and instead, I can't just be like. 
I'm her mom. And yeah. that I really didn't, I, that was stressful for me to hear. You know, it's like right. I can't even, I, I will never be able to think just that because I'm in both worlds. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think I completely understand that. And yet I think that like I can say to you, like that was inappropriate for that person to say. That yeah. was like unduly stressful and anxiety causing mm-hmm. for a mother that is undergoing a C-section to hear. And, right. and like you should not think twice about like yeah. hold you know, holding holding that in that light, which is that yeah. like that's ridiculous, you know, that's ridiculous and that's traumatic. Those yeah. are those are traumatic moments. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's hard enough to be having a C-section. It's hard enough to have mm-hmm. gone through what you just went through in the 24 hours leading up to that or, you know, yeah. more more than 30 hours leading up to that. And yet, like, those are the moments that cause trauma. Those are the moments that, like, stick with us and, you know, so play true. over and over and over again in our minds. Such small things, such small Absolutely. words that cause such a reverberation, you know, yep. that for years and years and years. Totally. It's crazy. It is really crazy. And sometimes those moments have an effect that, that can be that can be positive in in you know the long run, but it doesn't make them any less appropriate or any less you know traumatic. And mm-hmm. I had I had a similar experience with my first birth, where the doctor, after I'd been pushing for a long time, she said to me, and her exact words were, "If you don't push this baby out, we're going to have to pull him up and cut him out." And I just was like. Oh my God. <laughs> and, and and for me, that ended up having a positive effect in the sense that it was almost like reverse psychology. And I was like, oh, hell no, lady, yes. <laughs> I'm pushing this baby out. But it was like the most inappropriate thing to say to, to a woman. Absolutely. Like, like what like what are you thinking? Mm. Like, where is your, and I like mean, you said, maybe it's a resident, maybe it's whatever, but like, no, no, this is your job. Yeah. Oh, the yes. stomach churn. Absolutely. Mm. It's like, I remember when I was a nurse and learning to, you know, again, like as you've been describing in your job and also in your deliveries, there are intense moments that we share, like in bringing and watching women bring babies to the earth, right? And mm-hmm. you have to learn how to like mind your face. Mm-hmm. Yep. You have yep. to learn how to like have a face that's not reflective of all the thoughts going through your brain. Yep. Right. You have to learn to like be tactful and mm-hmm. appropriate and professional. And mm. you know, it's all in this vein of like obviously hoping to preserve and protect that experience mm-hmm. for yeah. the people who are actually living it. Right. You know, absolutely. I think we have such a balance in a job where it's like, I think my job is sacred and holy and amazing yes. and magic. And it's also just like Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like something I do with three cups of coffee and sometimes I don't want to go, you know, yeah. and I think that that's like the hard part about these spaces even on your both ends of them is like, obviously as much as you coach yourself to not be an acute nurse, you are one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like you said, the very beginning, which I think is so beautiful is these experiences probably change that part of your practice more than anything. Absolutely. Yeah. The things you're saying in the deliveries that you attend and the the things you're reminding your coworkers to say and do and maybe not say and not do. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's really beautiful. Because I think all three of us know that so much of what contributes to a woman having an empowered and positive experience of birth 
doesn't have as much to do with the details yeah. as it has to do with the care they're receiving and the support and respect that they're receiving. And so you could have had all of the, you know, same, you could have still had all the pain that you experienced and you could have still had to have that C-section. But if people at that hospital had treated you with compassion and if they had believed you, mm-hmm. and if, you know, during your C-section, you're being, you're being treated the way you should be treated, like you could have still had all of those things that, you know, on paper might sound like they would be traumatic but you could still have had a positive experience because of the care that you received and right. and I was just talking to a mom the other day who was telling me about how you know she had this really really difficult and crazy situation leading up to her delivery including where she was being wheeled back for an emergency c-section her court you know the baby's court had oh, prolapsed yes. and the and the midwife was literally like you know ha- hand inside like you know trying mm-hmm. to trying to hold the baby up and and she describes it as like the most empowering experience of her life because she knew that like these people were on her team and like just Mm -hmm. the care that she received was so, so powerful. And it it just goes to show that the trauma is not in the details or it doesn't, it's not always in the details. It's so often in, in that, you know, the, the posture and the, the way that the people who are caring for you are, are holding your experience. Absolutely. We just had a mom that had lost one of her twins and, her outpouring of gratefulness afterwards yeah. to our t- like I mean she just I mean she gave us glowing like remarks about like yeah. how we as a team were and yet she walks away with only one yeah in her arms and it's so so yeah exactly like I mean why am I you know like mm-hmm. you know I mean it feels like whining sometimes because right. but I know but it's, it's not, not yeah. it's valid and it has to have a space and and I've I'm grateful I've been able to like recognize that and give it space so that I can heal and move yeah. on. Um, but yeah, it's amazing how it just doesn't take much. Yeah, really doesn't. I think too. I mean, you're going back into into the um, into the um, OR, and you maybe you're not like significantly preterm, but you are preterm. So you you would know you know that at least there's a high there's a likelihood chance. that there's going to be. I mean, your baby's probably going to survive, but you know, is going to need some kind of medical attention. I thought, oh, she'll need like minimal CPAP. Like she'll probably get CPAP at birth. Like you know, yeah. I'm going through everything like how I would be called back for delivery. You know, in my job, I'm like, oh, it's a 35 and 6, you know, she's yeah. almost 36 weeks. It's a girl. Yeah. She's going to be better. All oh, the white boys, they're wimpier, but this is a girl, <laughs> you know, and, and I'm like going through all these things. So I, it honestly did blindside me that she did so poorly because mm-hmm. I really just, I was completely unprepared for it. Yeah. I, so tell us what happened. Was um so they got her out. I think it was a difficult extraction, of course. Um, I think that probably lent into her, you know, having a little bit of um TTN, some transient tachypnea of the newborn is what that stands for. And um, so they were um she needed a little help uh breathing. And that's like a heart, is that a heart thing or a respiratory thing? Respiratory. Okay. Yeah. So it just kind of delayed her, you know, her ability to take that very first big breath, you know, to fill all those alveoli with air. Instead, they filled like, you know, 70%. And then the rest of it just kind of languished, that fluid languished there. And it became harder for her body to absorb that, you know, fluid. And so then it took up space, you know, that wasn't, Mm -hmm. you know, having gas exchange. And what that did is kind of kept it as a lower pressure system so that um, 
so that she never really switched over to a norm, normal newborn circulation. She kind of stayed in a neonatal circulation, so her blood wanted to bypass the lungs and not be oxygenated as well. Mm. Um, so um, she uh, required CPAP, never really was able to get off of it. And then um, I guess my C-section, they said I had a lot of adhesions, and I'd I had asked for a tubal ligation because I knew I was going back into surgery and that um, I really couldn't really play around with, like, you know, getting su yeah, yeah. surprise pregnancies yeah. because it would just send me right back, back and forth, you know, ricocheting through surgeries, which I just don't really care to do. So um, so they were doing this tubal, and they said I had a ton of adhesions, and I guess I was in surgery for like two hours. Hmm. And by the time I got out, it was like I briefly met her, and she was in a transport isolate um, about to be whisked away to a NICU, you know, at another yeah. facility. And um, and I had my dear friend, my um, NICU nurse and neo neonatal nurse practitioner um, friend who were saying that like they didn't believe that she was getting good CPAP like you know the seal wasn't as great they didn't think you know she was oh. getting the peep um, and so like um, you know that's hard for me too because it's just like you know I feel guilt in that because it's like well I chose to give birth at a place without a NICU and I trust I trust these clinicians but I know that they don't you know Norm this isn't necessarily their area of greatest expertise. Yeah, I yeah. mean, they don't, you know, I mean, they do resuscitations and they're totally NRP certified, I'm sure. And they're, I'm sure they followed, you know, but maybe, you know, maybe they're just not as savvy at it or, you know, mm -hmm. like. They don't do it as first. often. Exactly. Yeah. And so right. I felt a lot of guilt. Yeah. Um, and so then, um, so then, uh, you know, they're telling me this and I'm, you know, just kind of grappling, trying to process it. Um, and I just, um, I just remember feeling like so far away and just feeling like my insides were being ripped out, like as she just like the, the further she got away from me in that isolate. Um, and then our transport team, oh gosh, that transport nurse was just horrible and said terrible, just unfeeling things to my <laughs> friends and wow. just like little trauma after little trauma that just like built yeah. up. Um, she's like, um, my friend, my NNP friend said, you know, uh, has her has her dad been able to see her, you know, before she gets transported out? Um, do you know where he is? And um, the uh, transport nurse was like, I'm, I'm not supposed to keep track of dad. It's not my problem. Wow. <laughs> and, you know, so it was just... Oh, just one thing after the next. So he, um, thankfully, my friend made sure that, you know, he saw Fern and then uh, he was able to ride with her to the NICU and the mm -hmm. ambulance while I, while they worked to like kind of quickly discharge me and get me or not discharge me, transfer me um, yeah. over there. Mm. So. Wow. So you transferred, both of you transferred to another hospital. Mm -hmm. And then what did her what did her cure and and recovery look like from there? She was on CPAP for a little while. Um, initially, I thought maybe she'd be fine and she was going to stabilize out. Um, uh, and I'd been down to skin to skin hold with her. Um, she looked great. She'd actually weaned in oxygen. And she was doing really great. So I said, I'm going to go upstairs. I'm going to take a nap. You know, please call me with any changes. Um, I'm just upstairs, you know, and uh, I'm just going to take like a short nap. Um, I think I slept for three hours um, and I woke up 
uh, to pump. And um, I got a phone call, frantic phone call that said, um, I need your permission to intubate right now. Oh, my gosh. And I was confused. I said, I think you have the wrong mom. Um, my daughter's on CPAP. She said, yeah, yeah, is this Fern Gemmer's mom? Yeah, uh, that's who I need to talk to. Um, she's in 100% oxygen, uh, and uh, she's really sick, and I, I need to intubate her. And I said, oh, my God, yeah, you have my permission, permission to do anything you need to for her, but I'll be right down. She said, oh, no, that's fine. Uh, we'll call you when we're done with the intubation. I said, oh, no, I'll see you in a few moments. Wow. Is, is this the same nurse that had given you this attitude is, before? No, that was no. the transport nurse. So now this is now this is the team in the NICU. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the this was the N or actually she was the MD. Um, she was the doc, the neonatologist um, on shift that day. Um, so uh, you know, no one had. Um, I guess they'd had a really uh, see the nurse and me, the NICU nurse and me, is immediately telling you exactly why they are justified and not telling you right. they are not. <laughs> yeah, and it's important for me to acknowledge that um, and to say yeah. no. I still like someone should have found me. I. Of all people in that unit, they knew they had a NICU mom right. with a NICU baby. And I would hope that we would all have like, not that I deserved more empathy, but that, you know, that they would know that like, this is the case where you really make sure that you give. You just communicate differently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, mean, I don't need to. Because you have full you know, understanding. Right. Like, like if, if, if this situation is happening to me, like, of course, I want to know what's happening and I right. want to be given all, you know, the, the options and the choices. But like, you don't need to give me all the, you know, the details, but right. it's different with you. Yeah. And I had told them, you know, expressly, like, just, you know, tell me anything and everything. I want to be here for everything. Like, you know, yeah. they knew. So it, it was hard. And so we went downstairs and they were all, you know, gathered around her bed and trying to intubate. And she looked blue and her sats were uh, 32. And I just, um, we watched her sit down there for a while, and she just looked lifeless and um, flurry of people in and out. You know how it goes, mm -hmm. and um, just the uh, waiting in the doorway and feeling kind of out of body experience, watching it go and say, "This is like this isn't happening to me, right? This isn't this isn't real." Um, so then they get her intubated. She's stabilized, um, and I remember just. You know, I know I knew some of these people in the NICU because um, they're people I'd worked with in, an, in a previous NICU before they came there, mm. and um, I knew it wasn't. I mean, it was just the provider that I really sensed, you know, an uncaring, unempathetic um, sense from. But my, my nurses were, and my nurses, my RTs, the pharmacies, uh, they were amazing. Mm. Um, and I just remember that they looked at me um, with these looks that both made me sick because it was just like. You know pity. what it means, yeah. You know, it was just like, like just real pity and empathy. Like they just knew, and they were all, they were just all right in my shoes. I could just tell they were all just feeling it, just like that. Um, and so they were, they just looked at me across the room, and I just locked eyes with my respiratory therapist, and and she just started crying, you know. And so I went over there and held her hand and talked with her and sang to her, and she was calm immediately um of course she was i think she had meds on board too for intubation but still yeah she um i could just feel like we like she 
I just really always felt this, um, I've always felt this really um, strong connection to her. It's different than Otis's. Mm -hmm. um, this is like um, need, like absolute mm -hmm. cellular atomic need. I, I don't even know. Mm. It's just, and it's always been that way. Um, and maybe because of our traumatic start, you know, yeah. because of, but yeah. So, so she stabilized after that, um, you know, on a ventilator. And then um, shortly um, after that, I'm not even sure, and, you know, now it kind of becomes a day. So I'm not sure if it was yeah. the same day or was the next day um, that she, I got another phone call that she wasn't doing very well. Um, at this point, you know, I had had some words with the team and said, you know, like, I had owned that I had trauma from that experience of not being told something and walking down to that and that, you know. And so, you know, they made things right and they had, they were amazing communicators yeah. from that time mm -hmm. on, um, you know, apart from that one provider. Um, so it was, I mean, they really, I mean, all trust was regained. Restored, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, they called me again, um, maybe the next day or something. And, she had um, had a uh, decompensation, so she was again um, in the 30s, um, oxygen saturation, um, you know, despite being in 100% oxygen. So there's nothing more you can do if you're intubated right. and they're breathing for you and they're giving you 100% oxygen. I mean, if you're setting 30% for more than, you know, my neonatal brain says more than 17 or 18 minutes, I think, then you get into, you know, um, lasting damage. Um, yeah. And so... You know, it's damaging to know that even as right. you're in it, too. So um, watching that be there even for a moment was hard, um, and it was for a while. And my NICU nurse friend and my NMP friend and, and Adam, my husband, we were all just, like, standing in the doorway again just watching this. And my, um, my, my NICU friends that are my closest supports are, like, rocks. Like, they just don't. They don't cry. They don't, I'm like, I'm crying through this podcast, but like they, yeah. they just are like solid. And I, um, I've never seen them cry like that. And it just gave me pause to just be like, yep, it's totally valid to have, you know, to have yeah. these emotions because those women are strong and they are just sobbing yeah. on behalf of yeah. my daughter. So it was so good to see that. And I remembered a previous mom who had lost in the NICU that I worked back in Indiana say to me that it was so powerful and healing for her to watch me cry with her. Mm. And I thought, oh gosh, I thought it was actually really like not, um, I thought it was not appropriate of me kind of like, mm. I felt like I was trying to take her role and like, who am I? I'm not this baby's mother to cry. And that yeah. mother wasn't even crying. And, and I felt like I was an imposter in her grief. I just mm. felt terrible. And she um, instead embraced me and just said, I mean, she said, I don't know if I could have done that without you. Hmm. And she said it was so healing. And I, I will always remember what she said that day. And it wasn't until this day that I finally realized exactly what she was saying to me. Yeah. So yeah. that solidarity, mm -hmm. just knowing that you, there's someone else who is here and though it is not their child and though they do not have the same it is not the same you know fear or potential of loss that it is for you just knowing that yeah. they they're like entering into that with you mm -hmm. yeah yeah it was powerful it's so powerful i've experienced that too yeah it's really incredible 
So did so she stabilized after that. What happened? Tell us, tell us, tell us the rest. It took a little. <laughs> it took a little longer for. So when she was down, um, they they instead decided they were going to add um, nit- nitric oxide, which is like an inhaled um, NO two that goes into the circuit of the ventilator, um, and it helps to. Um, to kind of flip that switch of circulation yeah. um, by like kind of a higher pressure system within the lungs, um, uh, vasodilates and you know helps um, it helps really get directly to the lung. Uh, so they started that. It's, it's you know kind of one of the big bad machines that we have in our you know profession, and it's that or ECMO, uh, which is extracorporeal membrane oxygenation and those are like the big bad things like when you're a NICU nurse it's like you know well if your baby's on those you it's know kind of the, you're the sickest yeah. baby in the unit you're definitely a one-to-one maybe you're a two nurse to one baby ratio yeah. because you're so sick and you know I everyone was in the room and you know it's just you just all of those things are cues even if no one says anything yeah. like of the the sheer fragility of it all. Yeah. It's not one of those situations where we're like, we're just keeping an eye on the baby, yeah. making sure mm-hmm. everything's good. You know, you'll go home in a day or two. Like, right. Yeah. And before at a previous hospital I worked in, they um, let us see um, uh, charges that we, like what we charge um, per like thing, per item that we use in the NICU because they thought that it really um, made us more effect, uh, efficient because if we were aware of how much things cost, we were like, maybe can I like conserve more and, and find creative ways to, um, conserve and it it really did do that. I remember it making a lasting impact on me. But I remember nitric at the time at least was like twenty five thousand dollars a day to run, and that's wow. just the nitric. Like that's not even like wow. speaking about the ventilator or the NICU bed that they're in or the um, antibiotics that they got or the you know yeah. IV fluids, the NNP charges for their consults, the doctors charge for their consults, the you know pick yeah. line placement, the line placement, the I mean just like the enormity of it all. And it's like this machine alone is $25,000 a day. And she was on it for, I, I'm not quite sure exactly, but I think she was on it for like nine, 10, maybe 11 days. Or, oh my gosh. So, you know, it was just, it was just touch and go for a long, for a long time. Yeah. Um, and finally though, she started weaning her oxygen. She started responding to that um, NO2 and eventually, you know, we saw saturations improve and they started weaning things off slowly. And then yeah. somewhere in that time frame, also when they were starting the nitric, she um, had a hole in her lung at the same time. So it was another kind of like code-like situation, standing in the doorway, watching them do all these things and prepare all these meds in case she was going to try to leave me, you know? Yeah. So um, thankfully, like it never really got like to that end point. Like I um, can't remember if they pushed meds. I feel I feel like maybe they, I'm not sure if they did, but um, I mean, close enough to feel like it happened, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, so eventually she started responding and, you know, some babies just never respond to that, that medication, that, um, that avenue. And thankfully she did. And, hmm. and now she's gorgeous and feisty. Yeah. Fiery. So how long was she in the NICU total? Total of 14 days. Okay. So um, I was really, um, you know, everyone there knew. <laughs> uh, they all, you know, had a lot of empathy and knew that I was like little, having a little bit of ICU psychosis. 
<laughs> and really needed okay. to get out of there. And um, and I was just like begging them. Like um, I'm also pretty sassy too. I was just like, you know, okay. So she just came off all these things. Like you know, she does not need to eat. 160 mls per kilo per day like we know that if she was born right now like just pretend like she was born right now she would be getting three to five cc's for my breast if she was lucky yeah <laughs> um you know she's well grown she's not small like she'll be you know she has some brown fat on her she'll be able to <laughs> like yeah. i was making all these you know you know yeah at like i was just really advocating for her and so i basically we tried to breastfeed one day, um, and I could tell it wasn't working. I could tell it was going to take us some work. And I was like, nope, we're just going to do bottles. I told them no one else is feeding her but me. I will be at her bedside. I was at her bedside from day two um, or whenever I was discharged. Um, apart from one night, I was there 24-7. Mm. Um, so I just I didn't let anyone do anything else really with her. I just That you could do. Yeah. yeah. I just— so you were able to hold her and give her a bottle. Yep. yep. So then we just, um, I basically, I just used all of my NICU skills to feed her. Yeah. And not, I didn't, You're, I wasn't yeah. cue appropriate technically. Mm. <laughs> my NICU nurse <laughs> friends who, if they listen to this, will chuckle at that. But um, I just, I made it happen. I was like, I need to get her home. I need to be home. She needs to be home. Yeah. Um, I know, I'll know when we need help. And so let's yeah. just do this. And um, so we were just this reciprocal living, breathing nucleus together, her and I, like we just, hmm. in order to, you know, get through it all. Yeah. So, so then they let, they let, they discharged me at probably a lower volume that she was taking per bottle than, than they would, a, than they probably another would family. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Because of your, because of your knowledge and ability and also, you know, just when you would know to be like, right. Hey, I had this Call. whole action yeah. plan. I'm like, I promise yeah. I'll do this and yeah, this and yeah. this if this happens. And <laughs> Yeah, totally. So. so what was it like to transition to home? Because I know that that is one of, you know, we've we've this month had a couple of other um, moms who've had NICU stays that we've talked with. And, you know, we know that it's one of the most challenging things is taking a NICU baby home because not only are you like taking a baby home, but you're taking a baby home that, you know, whose survival has been in question and, and has relied on all of this medical equipment and yeah. other people's care that you know and their judgment and their their skills and so you take yeah. this baby home and now it's all on you so you have NICU experience and you've got you know a little bit of a different perspective than perhaps a lot of moms how was it taking her home it's interesting because um yeah I didn't um I I'm grateful and like in a lot of instances I say to other moms when I share my story, I'm like, I'm, you know, it's really hard that I was a NICU nurse. And sometimes I really like, it's hard to, like, I wish I weren't, you know, for mm -hmm. that whole experience. But, um, but when I really like thought about it and processed in my grief um, in this, these past two years that she's been here with us, um, I really actually come to the point that I'm actually, I'm absolutely grateful. My husband will say to me sometimes like, you know, you're the reason that she, I mean, you got her home. Mm -hmm. that soon you're the one who did all that like you were her lifeline um you know she there's no way we would have her home this soon without you you know and mm -hmm. so I actually felt a lot of like need and you know like um I felt empowered and I felt, you felt like you were fulfilling her needs yes yeah mm -hmm. I felt like I was you know I was really like I mean yeah I, I felt like I was I was what she needed and I and I knew I could do it and I was mm -hmm. fit for the task and you know I was I was proud that I could do that but it was 
isolating and lonely yeah. and, and dark. Yeah. Hmm. Really dark. Yeah. I can definitely, definitely feel that. Yeah. Lots of staring, you know, in the middle of the night, making sure she's breathing. and Yeah. Lots of fitful um, dreams, just hearing, you know, things repeated or just reliving, you know, the doorway of yeah. that NICU room and all of that. Mm. And then just, like, how hard it was to be so divided. Like, I missed my son so much, and that bond that we have is, like, so, so intense. And um, he was going through a lot of stuff, too, and I just was, you know— I was being this NICU nurse mm-hmm. and I wasn't like allowing myself to be mom. Yeah. And so I felt like a lot of loss in that too, mm-hmm. even though I knew I was doing what she needed. I mean, that's why we got home so early is because I kind of needed to be a NICU nurse. I needed to treat her like she was in a mini NICU. Right. I left her in my room in a dark room, you know what I mean? And she wasn't, yeah. I didn't allow people to hold her in between. And I swaddled her tightly and, you know, um, tucked her in. And, um, you know, I tried to keep her on a schedule, you know, so that she was eating, you know, the maximum she could and then getting the maximum amount of sleep. Like it was this calculation equation of how she could stay how could you, in my arms. How could you help her thrive? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I felt a lot of loss of that newborn stage that like, you know, yeah. um, just that, that the ease yeah, yeah the ease the magic the mm-hmm. just kind of like that languishing of like you know mm-hmm. just really blissful oxytocin you know yeah um those moments i just you know and i had them you know i did but it just it wasn't the same yeah and um and that was hard and then, of course, my husband, you know, we're now we have a child and we don't have any family um, in the area. And so, um, you know, we didn't have a ton of support. We had wonderful friends, but um, and a lot of our friends were actually like pregnant with their second or going through like similar things as us, like yeah. just having had a kid. And unfortunately, we just were all at the same stage of life that we were, none of us were able to help each other. And so yeah. we were all kind of isolated, feeling like, you know, we're all at the same stage and we thought that was like perfect. Oh yeah, we're all at the same stage. It'll be great. We'll have babies together. And it's like, oh no, we're going to just feel all the same things, but not be able to like, you know, be there for each other. That was hard. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. The actual practicalities of like, I could someone maybe take my son overnight or, you know, for the afternoon or, you know, that's, those things are huge when you're, when you're transitioning at all, but certainly when you have sort of these extra things you're compensating for. And my, my mother-in-law came out, like, in order to, so that I could stay in the NICU every mm-hmm. night. She she dropped everything she was doing. She came out. And my, mo- my mom was actually um, a friend of her, uh, hers, a random person. I hadn't even, I had ne- never met her before. Um, she just paid a plane ticket and sent my mom to me right mm-hmm. after it happened because she just knew I needed her. And yeah. um, so I did, we did have, like, an initial, like, time Two period. Weeks, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but then, yeah, after that is, is where really where it was most dark um and you know where i get it they had lives and things to do back home yeah totally so when would you say that you felt like you kind of came out of that dark period and when did things sort of feel like they began to settle and to and to feel to feel good well i was supposed to go back to work at um three months i ended up 
lengthening it to four months to my maximum amount. And then um, the week came where I was supposed to go, and I just um, I just kept having panic attacks um, and anxiety, and I just couldn't do it. And so I called my manager and said, you know, I, I'm trying to get this figured out. I might need some medication. Um, you know, I need to, I, I'm not ready. Yeah. And so, um, and so I waited another week. Um, but then after that, it was really just, we couldn't afford for me to be off any longer. And so I had to go back. And um, coming back was um, really traumatic for me. Hmm. Um, not, not for the reasons that most people would think. Um, really, um, really more um, the shift in professional aspirations and how I was viewed and seen and how I was treated. And mm -hmm. um, I'm not even sure a lot of that stuff I'm still processing um, and trying to figure out. But yeah. um, but going back was a major trauma for me as well on top of all that. And so it, um, it stuck me right back into the darkness mm -hmm. and it took me um, about like six months. Yeah to climb out of that. Um, so, but I did. Um, and actually one of the biggest healing things for me was going to deliveries. Yeah. Good. At first it was so painful because I would, I mean, I, I wasn't showing that on the outside and I was still okay. I never, the crazy thing is that I never had like anxiety or anything for any deliveries I went to. Mm. Like, um, it's odd because I would think that that would be the exact place that 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 anxiety would live. Right. But instead, I just got to see um, that I wasn't alone, that other people were going through kind of similar experiences, and I felt a sense of purpose. Um, like I could be the person that, you know, that um, quelled those voices, you know, yeah. um, or that, you know, offered a smile or that, you know, a reassuring look, you know, all those just like little simple um, presence things. Yeah. So... That's that's what did it, being able to go to deliveries. Yeah. Slowly, one by one, I just felt healing and felt okay to say, you know, I'm so glad that those women have beautiful births too, you know, mm -hmm. and that nothing bad, you know, happened in those ones. And instead of going, oh, that's so beautiful. That's what I wanted. Why, right. why couldn't my body do that, you know? Instead, it was just joy at watching it. Mm -hmm. That's so. really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you had the opportunity to do that or that you have the opportunity to do yeah. that. Yeah, I'm fortunate because it's my my world to work into, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I want to say, too, Heather, something that I love about sharing that world with you and just getting to know you over time and um, is just watching you through your pictures of your children. <laughs> So and then the joy that I, I see in that, in those moments. And we'll, mm. we'll share a little link. To, like I said in the beginning, Heather's a very talented oh. photographer, but also a great writer. And she writes a lot about her children and her love for being a mom and mm -hmm. the good and the good and the good and the hard times. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's my only sure. way of processing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think it is for a lot of us. Yeah. Yeah, the day-to-day -day of motherhood is is both very, very healing and redemptive and also just, like, 
like a like a vice. It yeah. just it just squeezes, squeezes and squeezes. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. Well, thank you so much for sharing yeah. your story with yes. us. It's it's thank just you. it's so beautiful on every level from the perspective of, you know, your 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 motherhood heart, your mother heart, and then also from the perspective of your experience as a NICU nurse is just such a such a unique vantage point and and I think that you share your story with with a really really beautiful perspective so thank you so much thanks for being here today yeah I'm super honored thanks for listening to Mother Birth today if you want to be a bigger part of our community you can follow us on Instagram at motherbirth.co or connect with us on Facebook where we have all kinds of behind the scenes stuff going on also don't forget to subscribe to the show and rate us in iTunes which allows other people to find us and helps the show to grow I think it goes without saying, but Mother Breast is a personal podcast created by Laura and Melissa. It's intended as general information. It doesn't constitute or substitute medical advice of any kind. You should always consult with your primary care provider with respect to your medical care. If you're pregnant, planning on becoming pregnant, or in the postpartum period. 